Well, let's return to the time of Jesus Christ and to the words that he spoke to the multitudes of people that gathered to hear him. We're back to the book of Luke, so turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just put your hand up. The ushers will get you one if you want one to follow along in. The scripture will be in the Bible this morning, not up on the screen. Um, So put your hand up and grab yourself a Bible that you can use to follow along. Now, most of you should have received a small piece of folded paper when you came in this morning. And if you did not, the ushers are going to come up here to the front and they're going to have some more of these available. So please get their attention now that they've handed out the Bibles. Go ahead and put your hand up if you did not get one of these. I'd like everybody to have one of these, okay? little piece of folded paper. They're going to pass a few uh, pens out to the different aisles as well here, uh, something that you're going to need later on. So once you have that piece of paper and those pens, please just set them aside. We're going to get those out again later on in the service, and uh, you'll understand when we get there. Today we're going to close out a series that I have thoroughly enjoyed preaching. Um, This summer we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus Christ and focusing a lot of our efforts on his parables and I hope that you got even just a fraction of what I got out of that series. Um, It was great for me. So many times I've wished that I could have been there just listening to Jesus live and, and hanging on his every word. It would have been absolutely amazing and I realized uh, not too long ago that the series that, with this series that I was preaching, I could just spend years teaching through the words of Christ, and, and maybe someday I will. But to even just be able to spend a summer on it has refreshed my spirit, it's refueled my passion for the Word of God, and I hope it's done some of that for you as well. And so today we're going to take one more look before we get into our anniversary celebration next week, and then the fall schedule. Uh, we'll have Jody Pierce with us in two weeks. And uh, she's the wife of David Pierce, and together they lead Steiger International, an organization that I have a, a great deal of respect and admiration for. And I know that Jody's story will really touch your life, um, and that God's going to use that time in a great way. And then in October, I'm going to start a series on leverage. And what I mean by leverage is the concept of God taking something that we've thought, felt, or experienced, and using that to do great things for his kingdom. And we're going to talk about leveraging our peeves, our pet peeves, our pain, our prayer, our possessions, and our passions, all those different things. And I ask you to pray with me now that God will use that series to increase the effect that we have personally and as a church community on the world around us. So Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read the first 24 verses together, and then we're going to break this passage down. So starting at verse 1 in Luke chapter 14, this is what it says. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. 
and then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them, implore them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now there is so much to digest in this passage, but I chose it because it was a rare occasion. Jesus is eating at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Now how would you describe the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees? Not great, they were not BFFs. Unless Jesus thought that BFF meant brood of filthy frogs or something like that. He had said some not very flattering things to the Pharisees at different points in his ministry. Uh, he was very direct and graphic with them. It took strong language to get through to them, and his message got through to very few of them. And now here he is dining at the house of one of their prominent members. Now we know Jesus and we expect him at this point to dine with the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, last week we looked at a situation where he was doing exactly that and got criticized by the Pharisees for doing so. Contrast those two settings for a minute and I'm sorry but I've presented them in reverse order between last week and this week. In Luke 14, today's passage, Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee. In Luke 15, Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners. He had both ends of the spectrum in a very short period of time. So what does this say? What does this tell us? Well, it does bring credibility to the words of Christ himself when he said that God so loved the world, the whole world, that he sent his one and only son. God loves the world, the cosmos, everything and everyone. So he sent Jesus to the sinners and to the Pharisees. He had not given up on them. Now, how far does that love go? Here's how far. Did Jesus know what was going to happen next in his life? Yeah, he did. And so he accepts an invitation to the house of a Pharisee, even though he knew that they were inviting him to try and trap him. 
Verse 1 of Luke 14 says that he was being carefully watched. They set him up. That's how much of a threat he was to them. They were his enemies, and they plotted to trap him in his words or his actions. Yet he still goes to the house to dine with them. He's not intimidated in any way. Anybody here that confident? Think about the enemies of Christ in your world and whether or not you would accept such an invitation. Think about the atheists you know or the universalists. How intimidated are you by them? The ones who have all the answers, all the arguments against Christianity. How easy is it for you to avoid them? Well, Jesus could have avoided the Pharisees and no one would have faulted him for that. I wouldn't fault him for that. They make me mad. I would have stayed far away from them. Really, who needs that kind of annoyance in their life? But even knowing that they were setting him up, he goes to dine with them on their turf at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Now, please remember that the next time that you face the opportunity to hang out with the enemies of Christ. God loves them so much that he sent Christ for them. And even more importantly, Jesus has been there already. He's already experienced that. Follow him into those situations. Jesus knew he would not convince every Pharisee to follow him. Still he went. Jesus knew that they were out to get him. Still he went. Jesus knew that they would beat him and nail him to a cross. Still he went. What excuse do we have? None. Not one. God loved the world so much. That's our reality. More on that on a future date. So Jesus had a lesson to teach them, right? Well, not yet. Not yet. A little more on the setup. Verse 2 says that there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Coincidence? Nope, I think not. As verse 1 already stated, it was the Sabbath. Now that's the first half of the setup. The Pharisees believed that it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. It was one of their laws. So in comes the second half of the setup, the man with dropsy. What was he doing there? This was the house of a prominent Pharisee. The Pharisees would not touch this man, let alone invite him to dinner. Remember how unacceptable it was for them to eat with the unclean sinners? This man was considered unclean. They brought him in as part of their plan to trap Jesus. And pause for just a second and get inside the head of the man with dropsy. Uh, Dropsy is the abnormal accumulation of fluid in one or more cavities of the body. And when I looked this up, I had a hard time looking at the pictures of examples of dropsy, which is now called edema. It can be pretty embarrassing to have, depending on where in your body it's located. But here's this poor guy hauled into an unfriendly environment and put on display. And Jesus, in his mercy, deals with him quickly. The Pharisees were, I'm sure, counting on the fact that he would take the bait. Uh, They knew of the compassion he had on the suffering. In Luke 13, just a chapter before, there's an account of Jesus healing a crippled woman on the Sabbath. And this was the opinion of the synagogue ruler that day. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Same scenario here, and the same lesson was about to be taught. But I love what Jesus does here. 
He beats him to the punch. Before doing anything, he asks the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Silence. So he goes right ahead and he heals the poor guy. And we don't hear what happened to the guy after the healing, but imagine what that experience was like for him. Uh, I can picture him getting out of there as fast as possible. But he got an amazing gift that day. He was healed by his creator. And the lesson begins. Knowing that they were allowed by law to do this, Jesus brings their families and animals into the story. Uh, In verse 5, he asks them what they would do if one of their sons or oxen falls into a well on a Sabbath. Uh, Now, the NIV translation puts sons in there. Most manuscripts actually say one of your donkeys or oxen. At any rate, what if something valuable to them falls down a well on a Sabbath? They had every right to rescue whatever it was that fell down the well. And so Jesus is saying you'd rescue a donkey that falls down a well, but you wouldn't heal a lame person when given the opportunity because it's the Sabbath. Do you get how ridiculous that sounds? More silence. Jesus now shifts his attention. Other guests are arriving at the dinner. There's a table set up for the meal. Now, no metal folding chairs at this table. At the head of the table is the place for the host. And instead of sitting, he's reclining on a couch, resting on his left elbow. That's how they ate on one of these. Next to him were more such couches, and on they went further down the table. The table was horseshoe-shaped like this. And so there were seats close to the host, and there were those furthest away. And Jesus could see that as the guests arrived, they were hurrying to get the seats closest to the host, which were considered to be the favored seats, the honored seats. They were coveted spots. So as this is going on, Jesus tells them this parable. And Jesus here challenges their quest to have the seats of honor. He tells them to take the lowly seats, and perhaps the host would move them up to better seats. He warns them about what might happen if the host decides that there's someone more important than they are, and that they could be moved by the host to a less favorable spot. How embarrassing would that be? He's appealing to their sense of pride here, and he's speaking to a nation, to the nation of Israel, the place that they would attain themselves at the table of history would have an impact on how the host, the Lord God Almighty, would respond to them. Would they follow Jesus' wisdom? No. And there would be consequences to pay as a result. And then Jesus teaches them about the kingdom thinking when it comes to inviting guests to their homes. Uh, He paints a picture for them about the purpose of hospitality. And remember that hospitality is a spiritual gift. Hospitality is not a social skill in the kingdom. Now many of us are talented hosts, Fewer of us have the gift of not just putting on a good party, but seeing hospitality as primarily a missional expression. More about that when we get into our series in October. Invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, he said. Invite the outcasts. Don't take this too literally. He's talking about outcasts in general here, not solely those with physical ailments. He's talking about inviting without having the motive of the favor being returned to you. And here's the love uh, for them that, he was, that we were talking about earlier. Then you will be blessed. He still wants to bless the Pharisees. And he wants to see them receive a reward at the end of time. That's how much he loves them. 
Uh, about a month ago, a group of us went down to South Minneapolis to serve a meal on the street uh, in the hood. We even worked with a program called Food in the Hood. Um, do you know how much joy there was in doing that? That was so cool. We were the textbook definition of fish out of water. We really were. <laughs> but we were also the definition of light in the darkness. Uh, a different kind of dinner was held that evening. Invitations were sent out to people who would not normally be invited by us to a dinner party. And God was honored in that. I think God had an even better time that evening than I did. Uh, that was tough to beat, though. I, I stood in the serving line next to Marty Erickson, who served watermelon with his standard classic twist of wit and humor. And on my other side was Steve Hessness, armed with ketchup in one hand and mustard in the other, serving people in a way that surprised them, to say the least. It was great. We had people painting kids' faces, playing with the kids in an empty lot next to us. We had Chapel Hill people just engaging the people of that community and listening to them, even when their ears were practically talked off by some of the people there. We were blessed that evening, just like Jesus promised. We were blessed. But back to our story. Somebody... One of those at the table then blurts out a beatitude. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now given the audience, this could have been a completely empty statement by some self-righteous man who thought he'd reached the kingdom but was totally deceived. Or maybe it was sincere. Maybe a heart was softened enough to recognize the value of a place at the kingdom table. We don't know for sure. It opened a door. That we do know. And Jesus launched another parable into that open door. A man is preparing a banquet, so he invites many people. When the banquet's ready, he sends out his servants to tell those people that the banquet is ready. But instead of excitement, he gets excuses. And Jesus leaves no room here for mystery regarding the emptiness of these excuses. Uh, look at the first one. Go to verse 18 says, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now ask yourself this question. Would you buy property without having seen it? Hopefully not. And the Jewish people were known throughout history for their business savvy and the likeliness of this being a legitimate excuse is basically non-existent. The next excuse is another beauty. Verse 19 I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Same ridiculous principle here. Would you buy a car that you've never driven? Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, this one has actually been argued. It was true in their custom then that a man who just married was freed from military and social obligations for a year. Sweet deal, huh? But that did not play into this scenario. He was not obligated to stay away. He was making a pathetic, empty excuse. So the servant reports this to the master of the household, and the master gets angry. And he says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And there's a subtle but real difference here. The servant is not to just invite them this time. They would need help, so he's to bring them in. The servant tells his master that it has already been done, but there's still room. And folks, there is always room at the table in the kingdom. 
it will not fill up. There will always be seeds that God wants to see filled. So the master says in verse 23, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them, implore them, persuade them to come in so that my house will be full. Now he's talking about the true outcasts. Roads and country lanes is often translated highways and hedges. Hedges. And these were places inhabited by the homeless and drifters. Hedges surrounded properties in the countryside, like fences, but they were made out of plants. They were planted hedges. And the destitute would often live in these hedges to provide themselves with some sort of shelter. And the master wants them to come to his banquet. Last Sunday, we talked about some parables told in a, in a different kind of setting. Uh, Jesus was talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, and at a certain point in his teaching, he brought the Pharisees into that story, and now he's talking to the Pharisees, and in this story, this is the point at which he brings in the Gentiles, the outcasts, those who had previously not been seen as God's people. Now pay attention here. This is where we, you and I, are brought into this story. It's easy for us to look at this parable and to feel pity for the disabled and the poor. Now that's how I looked at this for a long time because I gravitate towards the outcasts. That's just me. But those are the socially outcast and while Jesus does address the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, he's talking here about the spiritually outcast and that position in life is significantly worse than being a social outcast. You and I, as Gentiles, were not part of those considered God's people until Jesus came and made a path for us to enter the kingdom. And praise God, he came. I cannot imagine anymore life as a spiritual outsider. I was there long ago, long enough to have forgotten what it felt like. No hope, no meaning, no purpose, no eternal value. No sense of identity, no forgiveness, no day-to-day tangible experience with the creator of the universe. That's life as an outcast. Do not forget that that is what life is like outside of the kingdom of God. It may look good on the surface. People may look like they have no need for God on the surface. But the part of us that was created to live eternally is found under the surface of our polished, sometimes phony exteriors. The world world is full of outcasts, of hedge dwellers. They may have a nice house in the hedge, but it's still in the hedge outside the city. And so God, the master of the kingdom house, sends out his servants, you and me, to bring in the outcasts, the spiritual outcasts. I want you to notice a cultural dimension to this parable. It has to do with the way in which people were invited back then. Invitations were delivered by servants of the household. And then when the banquet was ready, somebody went out and let them know that the time for the start of the banquet was at hand. And here's the model that Christ has given us. He sent us an invitation. Through his word, through his people, through the prompting of his Holy Spirit, he sent that invitation. And one day soon, a day which no one can predict, 
he will return to tell us that the banquet is ready. And I can't wait for that day to arrive. You know why? Because I have a seat at that banquet. I have a seat reserved for me. And that banquet will mark the end of all suffering, all pain, all sin and evil, all sadness, all sickness, all despair, all loneliness. Never again will a tear be shed in sorrow or pain. Never again will we be overlooked. Never again will we be neglected. Never again will we be lonely. Jesus Christ is coming back. John wrote this at the end of the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm not going to assume this morning that every single one of you has a place at the banquet. I know that most of you do. I also know that there are some probably here that don't yet have that place. You've not made that choice yet, accepted that gift yet. So I want to give you a chance right now to get this straight. There is only one way into this banquet. Only one way. And that one way is to humbly accept the gift of Jesus Christ. We've spent the summer looking at his teachings. He has a lot to say. But more than anything, I think here's what he wants you to hear this morning. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he died to get you a seat at the banquet in the kingdom of his father. And here's what you have to do. Admit that you've done things that are going to keep you away from that banquet. They're going to keep you out of it unless they're forgiven. Every one of us has sinned. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. But Jesus said that if you'll admit your sins to him, ask him to forgive those sins and invite him to be the Lord, the master of your life, he will set a place for you at that banquet. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't taken that step yet and accepted that gift, will you do that right now? Let's pray together. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to come before God right now. And I want you to answer that question of whether or not you have truly received this gift of Jesus Christ. Folks, there's a banquet coming at the end of time. And only those who have a spot reserved will be there. You do not want to be left out of that banquet. There is no changing your mind at that point. There's in or there's out. You can't fake your way in. When Jesus told a parable very similar to this in another part of his ministry, in that parable a man was 
singled out who was at the banquet. He was not dressed for the banquet. He had not received forgiveness, the white robe, and he was cast out of the banquet. If you're here this morning and you have not yet made that decision to accept Christ's invitation to the banquet, make it now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Today is the day. Christ is calling you. He's extending you that invitation right now. Will you please accept it? And if your spirit is saying, yes, that's, that's me. I want that. I want to know that I have a spot at the banquet at the world's end. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray these words with me in your heart and in your mind. Right now, you stand before the throne of God. And there's one there who will plead your case for you. So the time has come for you to address him. Pray this in your heart right now. If you need to accept that gift right now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I have done things that have kept me from this banquet. Today I want to set that straight. Lord, forgive me for the things I have done that have wronged you. I offer your gift of forgiveness. I want to start over again right now. So come, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. I surrender myself to you. I ask you to be the Lord and master of my life. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that place at your table, for that reserved seat at the banquet. I offer myself to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed, if you have made that decision, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, and you have just accepted that invitation to the banquet, will you raise your hand for me right now so that I can pray for you? Just put it up wherever you are right now. Amen. Thank you, Father. God, we come before you this morning to acknowledge the gift that you have given us. We come before you this morning to say thank you, to praise you for what you've done. We didn't deserve this spot at the table. Nothing that we have done has gotten us there. Nothing 
There's only one way in, and it's by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much for that blood that was shed for our sins. So, Father, we come together this morning, your people, your children, your family, to say, praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for our spot at the banquet. Lord Jesus, thank you for preparing that spot for us, for making it possible. And I thank you that right now, at this very moment, there is a celebration taking place in heaven. Thank you for reaching down into people's lives this morning inviting them to the banquet. We praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I want you to find that piece of paper that was given to you. That little white piece of folded paper. And if you know that you have a place at that banquet... I want you to write your name on that piece of paper. That's a placeholder, like at a reception or a banquet. And I want you to write your name on that. If you don't have a pen, they'll be passed down the aisles, but do that for me right now. Put your name on that piece of paper. And we're gonna go into a, a time of worship to close our service together today. And we are going to celebrate the fact that we have a place reserved at Jesus' banquet table. Isn't that an incredible thing? That's something to celebrate. And so as we sing this morning together, as Peter and the worship team lead us, whenever you're ready during that time, just come and put your card on the table. Just as, as a symbol of the reality that yes, Lord, I have a place at the banquet table. We're going to sing now. Thanks, Peter, for taking us into this. Praise him as you come this morning to celebrate the fact that you have a place, your name's on a card, and it's waiting for you.